We're in the middle of this series of messages called Words to Live By. And it's six one-word virtues in a world that desperately need to see these truths lived out. A different way of living. And we did three messages to sort of set up this series just to talk about how high the stakes really are. The first three messages of the nine, there's two series in a sense, was that first of all, everyone is going to die. And that after death comes judgment, which results in heaven or in hell. And then last week we launched this series with the idea of flourishing or thriving. It says in Psalm 92 that those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish will flourish. That we need to, in fact, stop going to church with a mindset of checking off an attendance box. That's a very empty way to approach it. That instead we need to start being the church and being planted in the house of the Lord. And that the psalmist says when we do this, we will flourish. Later in the series, we're going to talk about integrity. We're going to talk about loyalty we're going to talk about living in an entitled culture where the virtue of gratitude isn't seen nearly often enough. And when we live these virtues out in the power of the fullness of the Spirit, people see something radically different about us. One of the things I said last week, and I encourage you to do, is I encourage you to just pick one of the six virtues. And say, God, I'd like to dive deep with this particular virtue. I'd like to explore it in scripture. I'd like to think about it and meditate on it. I'd like to talk with others about it and say, God, how can this virtue be a deepening, living reality in my life so that it impacts people? Because we all will die one day and we will end, all end up in one of two places. And that's how high the stakes really are. Today we're going to talk about honor. So if you have your Bible or your device, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Mark. I'm going to read this in just a moment. Mark is the second book in the New Testament, the second story, second biography, second historical account of the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 6. But before we read it, let me just set it up a little bit. You know, whenever you travel outside of North America. It's not only helpful, but it's advisable, and it's in fact very kind and loving to do some exploration about, in the culture I'm heading into, wherever that is, how do I honor the people there? So for example, it's very helpful to know that if you're traveling to the Middle East, it's highly disrespectful to expose the sole of your foot to someone, considered a serious insult. When Pastor Aaron and I were traveling with international workers from our church, Curtis and Linda, in Paraguay, uh, we met this Muslim lady, and we, we messed up the greeting. And I know you're all assuming that it was Pastor Aaron that messed it up, but it actually wasn't. It was one of the other one of us, and one of us went to give her a brief hug, like we would kind of do here in North America to greet someone. Um, which is, and it was just a very appropriate type of hug. That's what it was going to be. But the lady, um, she had still had a big smile on her face. 
because she wanted to meet us and stuff, but she stepped back and kind of put her hand up, and we, we realized this is not appropriate, and we apologized. In Brazil, the gesture that we use to indicate the word okay is highly offensive to them, and so you don't want to use that gesture. Some time ago, I was uh, in a Korean home of Korean folks, and I was invited, Debbie and I were invited to a dinner, and it was quite a formal occasion, and uh, something happened that I was just, I'd never been exposed to before, so we, as the meal started, all of the men were seated around a table, and all of the women stood in the kitchen. They never did sit. They ate in the kitchen standing, and then they, when it was time to eat, they stood around us, and they, they served all the men. In fact, one of the women leaned over my shoulder, cut all my food, and arranged my food on the table. And it was something I'd never experienced before, but I, I just graciously received it because I didn't want to dishonor their approach. Very interesting in this passage that we're going to read that Jesus found himself in a situation where his work and his ministry was limited because the people there who should have honored him the most dishonored him. The immediate context of this, to just help you understand the passage, is Jesus is returning to his hometown, the place where he grew up, not where he was born, but around the age of two, he moved to the village of Nazareth. And this is the place from the age of approximately 2 to approximately 30, where he lived a sinless life, a life of pure integrity, a life of total honesty, a life of deep-seated gratitude, a life that reflected God in every conceivable way. Mark chapter 6 is actually his second ministry trip back there. The first time he goes back there in Luke chapter 4, he goes to church. We talked about this last week. This was his custom to go to church every week and to serve. This is part of being planted in the house of the Lord, to be part of a local congregation. He goes the first time and he's teaching. And at first it's going quite well, but as he opens the word of God up to them and begins to exposit it to them, it speaks to them very personally and deeply and intimately. And this causes them to get really angry and they try to take him and kill him. They try to throw him off a cliff. And the passage says, the crowd's about to throw him off the cliff and he just walks through the crowd and walks away. Now a year or so has gone by, and he has gone back to the Galilee, to Nazareth, which is close to the the Sea of Galilee. And he's not there just to visit his family, who still reside in that region, but he's on a teaching tour. And all of the people there have heard the rumors about his teaching. They know that massive crowds of people are following him around. They've heard about the miracles that he performs, that he'll take small amounts of food and multiply it and feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. They've heard about when he prays for people, uh, the lame are healed, the blind see, and he's healing people all over the place. In fact, he even healed Peter's mother-in-law from a deadly fever, which many scholars believe this is why Peter later denied Christ. That, that was a joke, you know, not a very good one, but 
um, and that's not true, by the way. He did heal the mother-in-law, but not because of that. But here in this community, as he's teaching, his ministry is deeply limited because of a lack of honor they display to him, and a lack of faith. With this in mind, I read for you from Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, in other words, Nazareth, where he grew up, accompanied by his leadership team, his disciples. When the Sabbath came, so once again, it says he began to teach in the synagogue. So he goes to church on, on their Sabbath and begins to preach. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? Where, what's this wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So Joseph and Mary had a number of children after Jesus was born to Mary. Joseph said to them, only in Jesus, rather, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So Jesus is teaching, and it's incredible teaching. He's an incredible teacher and preacher. In our English, where it says in your, in your Bibles, most of them say uh, they were amazed. You could actually translate, it'd be possible to translate it into the English. They were flabbergasted. They were flabbergasted by the depth and the accuracy and the, com- the way they were compelled by his teaching. It also says that they were deeply offended by it and what he was doing. Now, I don't know why they were so offended. I don't know if it was simply because they were jealous of him, or perhaps it was because they were resentful of having grown up with a person that had lived a sinless life in front of them. Think of how hard that would be to live and work and interact with someone that did not sin. It could be that they had deep-seated, long-term resentment towards him. Or it could be that the teaching was just so personal. Have you ever had that when the word of God's being opened up to you and it just seems like the spirit of God is speaking to you and you alone in the room? And it's extremely personal. And so it could be they're thinking to themselves, and I've often had people say this, how did you know that about me? And I said, I didn't, but God does. And they're thinking to themselves, how does he know those things about me? And so for any number of reasons, they are deeply offended and they begin to insult him. They say in verse 3, isn't this just this ordinary guy who made those, our dining room furniture and our bedroom furniture? He did a really primo job of the building the furniture, but where did he get the ability to teach like that? Where did he get the wisdom to expound on God's word like that? How is he able to do miracles like that? He's just an ordinary person, and they take shots at him. Who do you think you are? You're just an ordinary guy. And then they say this, isn't this Mary's son? Now, for us, that's no big deal. Like, 
We would commonly refer to people like that. Someone might say about me, they might say, you know, uh, isn't that guy, I think his name is Scott, it wasn't his mom, Marlene. And we wouldn't think anything of that. In this culture, at that time, this is a huge deal. They are something, they are insulting Jesus, and they are attacking his mom by saying this. And you know, it's one thing when someone takes a shot at you personally, but when they drag your mom through the mud, them's fighting words, isn't it? Because in that day, even if your dad was deceased, and many people would guess that he was dead at this point, that Joseph was dead, because he wasn't there and he's not directly referred to, even if your dad is deceased, it was customary and right and proper for them to say, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? By saying, isn't he Mary's son? What they are saying is, Jesus was an illegitimate child. His mom slept around before she was married. Maybe she slept around with Joseph, or maybe she cheated on Joseph and slept with someone else. All that stuff about him being born of a virgin and having been supernaturally, uh, that she would be with child, that's all a lie and a cover-up. Mary and Joseph were sham artists not to be believed. In that day, in that setting, this is a 10 out of a 10 on the dishonor scale. And Jesus, in right away in verse 4, recognizes this. He says, only in his hometown would a prophet get treated with this kind of dishonor. He who deserved to be honored and worshipped was deeply dishonored. Honor esteems. Honor lifts up. Dishonor devalues and tears down. This is exactly what they're doing. To honor someone is to believe the best about them. To dishonor is to assume the worst. Honor lifts, dishonor degrades. Now let's watch what a spirit of dishonor does. Let me read verse 5 and 6 to you again. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people, six people, and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus could not do many miracles there. Now, to be honest with you, I don't totally get that verse. And I've read all the people about it. There's a variety of opinions. But let me hazard a guess. I don't think it literally means that Jesus was incapable. Full of the Spirit, he's operating out of his spiritual gifts, and he is able to exercise those gifts. But in some way, there was some limits that were put on him or that he allowed to be put on him that didn't allow him to freely exercise his spiritual gifts to the full extent in these circumstances. And it's because of the dishonor they're showing to him and the lack of faith they exhibited. In fact, it says in the first part of verse 6, he is astonished, he is amazed at their lack of faith. So let me ask you a real personal question. What are we missing out on in life from God? 
when we dishonor that which we are called to honor. And when we don't trust. What are we missing out on from God in life? When we're not honoring the ones that we're called on to honor and not trusting him. You know, there's a, just listen to me carefully here for a second. There's a number of reasons why a person at times doesn't get healed. A number of reasons why that can happen. There's a number of reasons why a prayer doesn't get answered the way we had hoped for. One of the reasons this passage talks about is that we're dishonoring that which we should honor. Not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons. When we're dishonoring that which we should honor. Do you have anyone in your life that you're called to honor, but boy, they do not deserve it. They are a person of dishonor themselves. I do. I do. I'm going to ask you to close that door, okay? I do. I do. How do we navigate that? It begins with understanding that there's a difference between respect and honor. Respect and trust is earned. Honor is given. Respect, I say that again. Respect and trust is earned. Honor is given. We can honor someone because God has put them in a place of position in our life where we're called to honor them. That does not mean that we have to respect their decisions because their decisions might be openly sinful. And God never winks at sin and says, no big deal. That does not mean, even if we honor them, that we have to trust them. Trust is earned. We should never just look at sinful choices others make and just say, that's not a problem, and I'm going to look the other way. That's not what this passage is saying. We can treat them with honor before they themselves live honorably, and actually what happens is that often encourages them to live honorably in return. When we give honor, especially when they have not earned it and they don't deserve it, it empowers and encourages. Who are we called to honor? Well, one of the first ones Scripture talks about is we're called to honor our father and mother. And while this is a tough one for some people, tough, tough, tough. Talked about in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, then Paul reiterates it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. He says, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life. Once again, I circle back to that. What might I be missing out on in life that God wants to do in my life because I'm not honoring the ones that he's called me to honor? Honor my father and mother that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life. So can I be vulnerable with you for a second? This has been a huge struggle for me 
to a lesser extent for Debbie. And I won't tell you a big long story, but I'll just talk about in this last year. In this last year, three of our four parents have exhibited varying degrees of dementia. And we have had to step into their lives in significant ways to help. What does it mean to honor a father and a mother in circumstances like that, especially when one of those parents has been a thoroughly dishonorable individual? What does it mean? One of the things we've discovered, I think that God is teaching us, that it means that you give them what they need and not necessarily what they want. It means to treat them with esteem, even though they have not earned it, even though they do not deserve it. And given their physical condition, likely never will. And you say to me, well, Scott, you don't know my mom and dad, and you're absolutely right, I don't. Uh, they didn't live honorable lives. My dad ran off with another woman and my mom's a drunk or whatever your story is. And you're absolutely right. I don't know your story. But I just softly and I gently remind you, respect is earned. God is not saying to you that it's okay that your mom's a drunk or your dad ran off with another woman. That breaks the heart of God, those kinds of sinful activities. God is not saying that you have to trust because trust is earned, as is respect. But honor is given. And so we still honor our father and mother because it's the biblically right thing to do. And friends, we do it in the strength of Jesus. We do it only through the empowerment of the filling of the Spirit. We do it with a surrendered and a submissive and a grateful heart. Second group is authorities. Those that God has placed over us. You can read all about this in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. I'm not going to read all those verses right now. You might well want to read those later. But Romans 13 is very clear. We are to submit and honor the governing authorities that God has established. God has established. And you know, we are blessed to live in an incredibly good country. We are incredibly blessed. In fact, I would argue one of the best countries in the world. We're incredibly blessed. And part of the reason for that is there's a considerable number of women and men who have done a great job of being in authority. We don't always agree with them, right? Whether it's civically or provincially or federally, doesn't matter what political party, irrelevant. We don't always agree with these folks. That's not what this passage is saying in Romans, that we have to agree. Romans and the book of Hebrews tell us to submit, tell us to obey, tell us to honor them, unless, now listen to me carefully, unless they ask us to do something that scripturally, Scripture clearly forbids. Then that's a different kettle of fish. 
And so we honor those in authority. We honor our teachers. We honor our coaches. We honor our boss. And you say, wow, I'm smarter than my boss, Scott. Well, maybe you are. I don't know. But we're still called to honor them. We honor our spouses. Ladies, you say, well, I don't like my husband. He's not a great leader. Well, maybe part of the reason is that you have not been biblically honoring him. And as a couple, let me just say to you as a couple, if you want an incredibly average or below average marriage, an av- a marriage where you're just dissatisfied with the relationship all the time, I'll tell you how to do it. Dishonor your spouse. Belittle them in public. And here's a sure sign there's an issue. When you roll your eyes with disdain at them when they say or do things. Honor your spouse. Third group is pastors and church leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 talks about this. In fact, it says in the passage that for those who are giving spiritual instruction and discipling them, we are to give us, we are to give them double honor. True story. This person, this lead pastor, was invited to consult with a church that was in trouble. And they were asked to go and meet with the lead pastor of that church and the elders of that church, the leaders in that church. And this had been a church that had been struggling year after year. And so they invited this person, this lead pastor in to talk and figure out what's going on. So consultant sits down, he's listening, and every time the lead pastor went to speak, elders wouldn't interrupt him. Or eventually he got a word in, and they cut him off right away and said, you've tried that and it didn't work. And this happened over and over again. And finally they turned to the lead pastor, to the consultant, and said, what do we need to do to turn this place around? And what they thought this guy was going to say was things like, wow, you need to have a new contemporary type of service, or you need to restructure this stuff over here, or you need to fire your pastor, or you need to do this, or you need to do that. And here's what the lead pastor said. He said, I can promise you this, that God will not bless your church as long as you keep dishonoring the pastor God has called to lead you. Now, what he wasn't saying, he wasn't saying that this pastor hadn't made mistakes. He had made mistakes. The human being, we do that. But they would not stop disrespecting him. And the elders tried to argue back, and he listened to them ramble on for a while. And after they ran out of gas, he said to them again, you have disvalued him, doesn't feel empowered to lead. Wrong. And the Spirit of God, this is such a thing when the Spirit of God convicts people, it's so cool to see. All of a sudden, they just stopped. And they said, you're right. And each one of those elders repented of their sin around the table. And the pastor who had done some things he shouldn't do, he repented of those 
clings to. And God brought significant health to that church. You know, this is a good church to be a pastor in. And we have really good elders, top drawer. And I know there are people that disagree with me at times and probably for very, very good reasons at times. But I feel honored here. And this is one of the reasons God has blessed this church. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Paul is really saying, listen, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, like some of you right now have kids back in kid zone. And some adult has given of their time this week to get ready to teach or to lead that small group. And they're spiritually impacting your kid right now. I just encourage you, maybe when you go to pick your kid up, you should just bend over backwards to honor them. Or that teacher in your school that's teaching your kid, man, they've had major curveballs thrown at them this year. And they've had to adapt and they're still they're still trying to do their very best to help your child learn how to learn. I encourage you to honor them. If you want a great marriage, decide in your heart, let's outdo each other. Even if the other one doesn't want to play, I'm going to outdo them in lifting them up, in encouraging them, in esteeming them, in showing value to them. I want to do that right now. I want to honor Debbie. Wow, I would have crashed and burned so long ago without her. Best friend. The mother of both of my children. Most godly woman I know. Faithful, prayerful, supportive. I honor you for the private sacrifices that no one else sees. I know that you love Jesus demonstratively more now than even 35 years ago when we got married. I ask you, what are we missing out on life, in life, from God? What blessings are we missing out on? Because we refuse to honor that which we have been called to honor. And when we don't trust. Why does our our culture struggle with this so much? Because it really does. I would suggest that at the heart of why we struggle with this is because we do not honor God. Because this is where it begins. When we treat God as ordinary. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. I could give you a number, but I'll give you one. And this is extremely common. (coughs) When we use his name in a cavalier manner. And I'm talking about people that claim to be followers of Jesus. And I'm hesitant to even say what I'm about to say. And I mean no disrespect but I'll hear them say things or they'll use this expression that's common in the culture. Oh, 
M, and you know what comes next. This is deeply unwise. This is wrong. To treat God in a cavalier manner. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Not to take God's name in vain. And it's, it's an illustration of something that's not good. What does it say instead in Scripture? Let me read to you one verse. It says in Psalm 22, <clears throat> it says, You who fear the Lord, this means you have a holy reverence to Him, that you are deeply in awe of Him. That, that you fear him not in the sense of you're cowering in the corner, but you have this incredible respect towards him. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him. All you descendants of Israel. It all starts with honoring him as the king of kings and lord of lords. You get that right? You're going to figure out the other ones. He is the one who will soon return, ruling, judging, reigning, the one who shed his blood for you so you could live. We don't ever treat God as ordinary. We treat him <clears throat> with heart honor. Friends, that is a holy thing. The Bible calls us to be a holy people. I remind you that we are going to be looking at six virtues together, one-word virtues. I invite you to pick one of those one-word virtues and just dive deep. For you, the word might be honored. You know what I'm going to do, guys? I'm going to call an audible. I want us to sing that song, Build My Life, instead. Okay? Yeah. Honor. <clears throat>